0: and goiters. It's me, the librarian.
1: Listers and goiters? Oh, dear. Take that again.
0: Sorry. I'm just trying out some new
1: things. I understand. That's good. Just try again.
0: Budgie smugglers and girdles?
1: Um, no.
0: Birdies and golf clubs?
1: Seriously?
0: Billy cans and goombags? Victoria
1: Bigglesworth Hayes.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Boils and ghouls.
1: There we are.
0: In this second special episode for Women in Horror Month, we present an array of devilish, devious, delightful tales from our own Scarlet Elgee, in a collection she likes to call A Dark Adapted Eye. Told by Cynthia Loman, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Daniel Voitik, and Nelson W. Piles, and featuring a custom score by Nico Batese. But be warned, these stories pack quite a bunch and might be too much for sensitive listeners. Quite right. So sit back and relax. Maybe leave the lights on. Well done! Was I creepy enough? Quite
1: creepy!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Incision by Scarlet R. Algae Breathe. That's it. Just breathe. You're safe. I've got you. Don't worry. You won't feel any pain. I can promise you that. And of course, you can't move. Chemical paralysis. Very simple. Safer for us both. You're only awake. I want you awake. I want you to see the work. So beautiful, humans such specimens we make for each other flesh caged in bone vitality trapped in blood who'd have thought the old man have so much blood in him there is so much blood in you i've kept most of it in i wish you could feel my hands feel with my hands grasp your gray pink lungs Watch them swell and shrink. Wrap fingers around your heart and hold tight as it tries to jump free. I'm almost tempted to squeeze. But I digress. I said I wanted you to see. Show you how perfect you are inside. How perfect I knew you would be. I do have a mirror. Let me just lift your head. There. Aren't you marvelous?
3: Clary Recollected by Scarlet R. Algy 1. The Cold, The Still This is Clary. Eight. Blonde, blue-eyed, hypothermic. The only thing Daddy had to say to her was, Maybe
4: you could tell your bitch mother to think twice about cheating on
3: me. And then he'd shut the door, and the light had gone out. Clary doesn't know how long ago that's been. She squirms and whimpers. She'd screamed and wet herself when he'd trifolded her into the chest freezer urine soaking the stiffening legs of the pink Hello Kitty shorts she'd worn to vacation Bible school this morning and pulling on the bags of frozen blueberries that roll like marbles under her hip. The air is frigid and stale, stinking of her pee, making her chest ache. Her pillow is the rock-hard turkey Mommy had bought last year for Thanksgiving and forgotten about. Forgotten about... Mommy won't know she's here. Mommy won't know where to look for her. Clary squirms again, tries to turn onto her back, but Daddy wrapped her up too tight, arms behind her back, duct tape around her wrists and elbows, pea streaked duct tape down her legs at thighs and knees and ankles, more duct tape pulling at her hair, holding the spit-soaked wad of a dirty gym sock in her mouth. Her bare legs are burning with the cold, her toes numb. She scrabbles at the thick ice chest, her fingertips tear and bleed and stick. She tries to move her legs and scrapes her knees on the built-up frost, they leak. She winds into the sock, tasting grime and wet cotton on her tongue and starts to sob. The tears slide over her face burning her eyes, rolling down the cheek that's pressed against the turkey. They make her skin stick to that too. But she can't feel it anymore. Snot congeals on the duct tape across her lips. Her eyelashes harden and break. She breathes faster, the cold, a sawtooth knife in her narrow chest, and can almost see the puffs. Her fingertips throb, but she can't pull them free without ripping them further. Her watch chimes on her taped-up wrist. Three beeps in the Arctic darkness. Clary tries to curl up tighter. Three beeps. Three o'clock. Mommy will be home at five. Maybe that will be soon enough.
5: It was, somehow. But I miss my toes. The hospital weeks are somewhere in there mommy left daddy they got a divorce I had to learn to walk again all I really remember now is that I punched the inside of the freezer once broke three of my fingers on the ice crust and when my blood escaped it smoked like boiling water by then my feet were blue I punched the bathroom mirror last night and the gashes in my knuckles still smoked It was the glass that bled. If I pushed through? Pushed through the ice? The mirror? Would everything right itself? Would the ice and glass give off vapor and my flesh drip red? Would my blood boil off into the void? Was I hallucinating last night? Was I imagining the smoke? This shit is what keeps me up at night, Allison. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I... I know you have to get up for work soon. I'll shut up and go to sleep. It just still gets to me sometimes, you know? I can still taste that damn sock. I want to be normal. I just... I just want to be normal. I know. I'm sorry. Don't!
4: A dry land and a wilderness. John Frank has been set... As a seal and a warning for being in the wrong place, for not looking back. His life is braided up in tubes and bags, tracheostomy with ventilation, 18 gauge peripheral cannula, normal saline AB negative, and blood black remnants that spear his gums with a monofilament used to stitch his lips together to hide the shards of broken glass and shredded tongue. The line was 12-pound test, the needle and upholstery one, beaten into a curve. Meanwhile, Allison, 20, brunette, 2010 softball MVP, sits on her steps in the Campbell Street projects, counting the cash in John Frank's wallet. $29, 31 cents, unwrapped condom, expired driver's license, two one-cent stamps, who keeps... One cent stamps because he's passed by her checkout lane and grabbed her ass for the last goddamn time. The Louisville slugger between her knees cries out for John Frank with a rust dark voice. Her girlfriend Clary had left a brighter streak because Clary kept her up last night, wouldn't shut up with that shit about her old man in the freezer. The punching and the ice in the blood. Clary had even taken the last Vicodin. She's cooling now in their bedroom. Blonde hair matted black to the pillow. Pieces of teeth scattered across the floor. At least, her neck is a good, clean break. Allison's abscessed jaw throbs, sending black spots and red-veining lines up into her vision. She maybe hadn't meant to hit Clary so hard. But done is done. Really, Clary deserved that. It was the last Vicodin and no more till Friday. Fuck Clary. The paramedics skidded in for John Frank 15 minutes ago. Three minutes more and they would have been too late. The police have just arrived. Allison slings the bat over her shoulder and walks out to meet them, passing the guy from down on the corner, the one who shines shoes and talks to himself, who grazes her eye with eye contact and flinges away to walk wide of the noise. For John Frank, pillar of salt, machine breathing, his upper left molars jammed into his maxillary sinus work out their salvation in blood clots and pus. For John Frank, scheduled to flatline, at 5.45.
5: Thromboembolism. Noun. Formation in a blood vessel of a clot that breaks loose and is carried by the bloodstream to plug another vessel.
4: The only kindness granted is a bone left unbroken, the intermediate phalanx of his right ring finger. His signet ring, a gift from his grandfather, will be found by one of the cops in Allison's back pocket. Allison will die in three months' time in the yard at Southwest Correctional, on the wrong end of a plastic knife. But for now, let her have this victory.
3: Three, escape routes and recipe planning. You're safe, Clary. I've got you. I don't know how anyone overlooked you. It's a shame I didn't get to you sooner. But when Allison was taken away, I didn't immediately think you might be inside. I might have found you still alive, and that would have been better. You could have watched. I'm sorry about your face. You always were the prettier one. At least, this way you won't feel any pain. But I wish you were awake. I want you to see the work. So beautiful, people. Wrapped in skin, caged in bone, trapped in blood. Who'd have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? Somebody famous wrote that once. There's so much blood in you. You were prettier before I cut your throat. But the blood had to come out. It still steamed a little. I wish you could feel my hands. Feel me wrap fingers around your heart, and squeeze, squeeze, until your throat stops leaking. (sighs) How I wish you could see this. How I wish I could show you how perfect you are inside, how perfect I knew you would be. Let me lift your hand and open your throat. Smile for the camera, Clary. Somewhere on a side road between Brownsville and Memphis. I threw your head off a bridge. No identification. No dental. It's for the best. I'm sorry, Clary. It really wasn't supposed to be you. I wanted Allison to pay for what she did to John Frank. He was an alright guy, John. Tipped well when I shined his shoes. Too good to deserve to die like that. Just like you too pretty to go around wearing a black eye from another woman's hand I almost didn't look for you I almost stopped myself I did this once before that's why I'm not a butcher now why I've shined shoes since I got out of the special hospital I don't want to go back there, everything was white and the walls were all wrong but I couldn't let you go once I found you in that apartment you're holding up well What I could keep of you. What would fit in the Ziplocs in my cooler. Shoulder roast. Flank steak. Short ribs. I can boil your neck for broth and scraps. With your hands and feet. Little bones. Little slivers of meat. The kind of leftovers a good dog can dispose of. Carrots. Onions. Celery at any Walmart. Soup of you for me. A ball of fat. Though you never had much to spare. A scrape of marrow because I cracked your thigh bones. The muscle. That's long and lean. I'll have to slow cook you then, girl. Sweet onions and fingerling potatoes. Little honey glaze on the carrots. Remind me to get more ice when we get to Cenotopia. I can't have you going off on me now. I don't know where we're going further south than Tennessee. Maybe a little place out in the woods along the river bottom. Some empty shell of a house with a gravel road and no electricity. With a creek or a well. A good cook can do a lot with just a fire and a pit. I want to hide us somewhere and leave the truck behind. I wonder if anybody else has found out what I left of you yet. I wonder if anybody's thought to look for me. Crazy butcher, the shine man, still touched in the head. I wonder if anyone's screaming over you. I got a cousin in Holly Springs, if you can hold out that long. Old, blind, wouldn't know good beef from bad. I could put dog meat on the grill and he'd think it was prime rib. Lives on the edge of a national forest. Might just be the escape we're after one way or another. I take good care of you, girl. I know you wonder why I'm doing this, strange thing for a dead stranger. I lived in the same project, and you wouldn't know my name if I told it. You never had shoes worth shining, but you walked past my corner every morning, and you smiled at me. Slipped me a dollar or two when that girl wasn't looking. Never called me crazy like everybody else. You deserve to be remembered for that. This is what I can do. This is the memorial I can give you. It's time to stop for that ice. Don't go nowhere. Be a good girl, Clary.
2: A Spot of Blood, by Scarlet R. Algae. I've just reached for the bleach bottle, my fingers tight on the cap, when she closes her hand around my wrist. Hold up, baby girl, what's this here? She shifts her grip to under my arms and pulls me upright. I'm myopic enough from my time bent over the half-butchered corpse in the bathtub, that the blood on the floor wobbles in my vision for a second before it resolves and I feel the press of her covered boots against the outsides of my own. A single spot of blood between my feet, between hers. She takes the back of my neck and squeezes hard, forces my head down and holds me there. Now, baby girl, we talked about this. And we have... But never about the things I've done right. How small caliber rounds rattle around in the skull and don't come out. How to accommodate the way the carotids can hide when the heads pull back. How to unfold plastic sheeting so it doesn't even crinkle. For Christ's sake, I'm wearing three pairs of nitrile gloves right now. No, it's always the other things. The cut that isn't deep enough. The noise that isn't muffled properly. The single drop of blood on the bathroom floor. I reach blindly for the bleach. I'll take care of it. Honey, I don't think you realize how serious this is. She presses on my neck. We don't leave traces. You know what I say about mistakes. Mistakes get you caught. I mumble. Damn right. And how many is this? She shakes me like a dog shakes a stuffed toy. I can feel my own carotids pulsing as I try to think. Two. No. Three. And one I can't forgive. Maybe two. You've been learning, she says. But not this one, Missy. Oh, No. She lets go of my neck and grabs my hair, plastic cap and all, and yanks me to full height, spinning me around. The movement is dizzy. My vision swims. When it clears, I'm looking out the open bathroom doorway down the hall toward the kitchen. Two drops. Three. Dozens. Maybe Hundreds. I've left a blood trail. She rips the surgical mask from my face. Elastic snaps. I whimper. Mm. You do the crime, chickadee. You're damn sure gonna do the cleanup. And this time, you're doing it the hard way. When she shoves me, I fold. Topple straight down onto my knees. She plants the toe of one boot in my side. I warned you how it would be. Now get started! Knees burning, eyes watering into my safety goggles. I bend my face to the floor and start to lick. Bone Deep by Scarlet R. Algie. For the first time in weeks, I'm alone in the house. Gran's out talking over the garden wall with one of the neighbors. Mam's hanging out the wash. Me? I'm sitting on my bed with our best kitchen knife, running the edge over the hard points sticking out beneath my fingernails. It should hurt, but it doesn't. The skin parts just a bit, bloodlessly, and has the grating sound of metal scraping bone. I press harder. It started six weeks ago last Sunday, the day after I turned 15. When I went to bed that night, it was insidious, a little niggling, almost itch behind my kneecaps and in my wrists. But my knees swelled under my skirt when I trudged dutifully to school the next morning, and writing notes in my lectures just made fire blaze down my right hand in waves. The next day, it was both hands. Within a week... I was sneaking aspirin from the kitchen cabinet in handfuls, stuffing them in my skirt pockets, biting down on the bitter discs so I wouldn't sob from the searing ache that was twisting me inside out. I did that at home, at night, into my pillow. It took ma'am a full ten days to notice. Ellie, you've shot up like a poplar. She didn't smile. She grimaced instead and backed me up against the edge of the half-wall between the kitchen and the dining room, plopping the family Bible against the top of my head, and marking the paint with a pencil before fetching the measuring tape. Five feet and eight, she pronounced, wide-eyed when she pulled the tape away. Are you taller than me? Ma'am demanded, and crowded so close my nose touched between her eyes. Jesus, you're taller than me! "'and since the first of the month, too!' "'She turned to look over her shoulder at Gran. "'Is this normal?' "'Gran shrugged, mouth tied around her cigarette. "'Some girls get their height early. "'All at once, I did.' "'She stood five feet four and bare feet. "'It was Gran who sat at my bedside that night, "'patting my aching hands and balancing ice packs "'on my oversized knees. "'Growing pains.' She said, though her gaze narrowed as she eyed the length of my legs. Best to get it out of the way now. Don't worry, it'll be over soon. But in the night I woke screaming. My shift spotted with blood. My ribs had expanded and grown sharp-edged, breaking my skin from the inside. Mam yanked the fabric up and stared at me while Grant sponged me off with stinging alcohol. And this time... There wasn't puzzlement in my mother's eyes there was fear the doctor they took me to the next morning glanced at my knees and hands and ribs took some measurements and jotted notes muttered to himself and gave ma'am a prescription for something with codeine in it and never said a word directly to me growth spurt he called it and mumbled something about long bones and inflammation of the growth plates it would pass he said that was the end of it that afternoon, the pain in my knees came back, jabbing and twisting so bad I could almost see my shins bowing inward. So I begged ma'am for one of the pills, but she only said, not yet. Let's see how you are after school tomorrow. I woke up next morning with my mouth throbbing. My cheekbones strained the contours of my face. I could see fissures forming in the skin. My teeth had become longer. My lips stretched when I foamed a bite. Man measured me again. I was another three inches taller. Gran looked up at me and whispered, Swear to God, her bones are growing out of her. I could barely get out of bed that day, despite hanging over it. There was no school. There was no school ever again. The next week kept me changing, growing. My neck stretched with crackling noises. My jaw and elbows locked and loosened at odd times. Going through the doorways in the house meant bending nearly double. Sleeping on my bed took folding myself in half, and the biggest shoes ma'am could buy only fit on my feet a few hours. Gran crossed herself and swore and fed me aspirin, codeine, whiskey. None of it touched the pain. I lay on the floor and howled till the neighbor's dogs barked. This morning, ma'am needed a stepladder to measure me, and her tape wouldn't reach in one stretch. Six feet, seven inches. I watched tears roll down her face as I tried to steady my two long, agonized legs and felt the ceiling against the top of my head. Now I sit on the end of my bed, legs mostly on the floor and I draw the knife over my fingertips again. They split entirely, and it's a relief enough to make my eyes water. Tentatively, I press the knife point into my thigh, where the outline of my femur is broad and plain, and push in. My skin rips with a noise like tearing tape, and there's no pain, no blood, only a release of pressure that makes me stuff my bulging knuckles into my too wide mouth only a great glistening white expanse beneath the stretched crepe of my skin Gran was right my bones are growing out of me I take a few breaths stick the knife in again if they want to escape I'm setting them free
3: Seeing Shadows by Scarlett R. Algy.
5: I still remember the first time I saw one. I couldn't have been more than six, maybe seven. It was my first day out of school for the summer, and my granny was dying in our second upstairs bedroom. I wasn't supposed to be in there. She'd taken sick the night before, and Mama, knowing what was coming, had banished me to the backyard to play all day while she and Daddy and Mama's brother, my uncle John Ray, hovered around Granny's deathbed and talked in whispers. I didn't know why they were so quiet, or what the faint, funny smell was that hung all in the house. But a girl can only play by herself so long, and after a while in the heat, I just came back inside. I could hear Granny breathing before I got to the foot of the stairs. Start and stop. Start and stop. A rattly sound that carried. Somebody was crying. I think it was Daddy. I'd crept out of bed enough at night to know where the stairs didn't creak. I went up and peeked in the door. Mama stood to one side of the bed, reaching down to stroke the wisps of gray hair back from Granny's forehead. Daddy sat in a straight chair on the other side with Uncle John Ray standing beside him, wedged into the corner with his hands tucked into his armpits. Granny was turning ashen. Skin stretched tight across her cheekbones, breathing hard and fast. She took in a shuddery breath and let it out slow, and I saw the shadow. At least, it looked like a shadow. It worked out of her mouth, out of her nose, a cloud of black particles like dust. It slid out of her with that last breath, trailing ragged streamers, and I screamed. Uncle John Ray swore. Daddy bent over in his chair with his face in his hands. Mama ran to me and swept me into her arms and pressed me into her. Hush, Jenny Mae, hush. The black cloud swirled up to the ceiling and disappeared. I kept screaming. They hadn't seen it. In the middle of August, Uncle John Ray took heat stroke out in the cotton field. He was muttering and twitching when Daddy wrestled him into the house and onto the couch. Froth flecked his lips. Mama yelled at me to go get cold water, and she and Daddy got John Ray out of his clothes and half-wrapped in a wet sheet. Daddy took off to town after the doctor. Mama laid a wet towel across Uncle John Ray's forehead and started sponging him down with a rag. He stopped muttering and got still, but the twitch stayed in his fingers. I fanned him with one of the cardboard fans the funeral home had put out for Granny's service and tried to hold his hand... But his skin was red and dry and hellfire hot, and he shook too bad for me to keep a grip. His hands were huge compared to mine. We fanned and sponged. Uncle John Ray shook harder, his eyelids spasmed and opened to show white, and Mama started to cry. She changed the towel across his forehead and he growled in his throat, then whined. It was a high, hoarse sound, and while Mama tapped his face and made shushing noises, his shadow started drifting out. I dropped my fan and watched. It was darker than Granny's had been, the tiny black moats more tightly packed. It moved slower, too, out a little and back in, fighting, hesitating. John Ray's wine cut off all at once, and in the silence, his shadow swept out of him. It broke free in a rush and hurried upward, hovered at the ceiling Vanished. He wasn't breathing anymore. I clenched my jaw and curled my fingers into fists. This time, Mama was the one who screamed, but I knew she hadn't seen that one either. There were no deaths for a while after that. I went to school and played baseball and played with Rufus, our old red coonhound, and almost forgot about seeing shadows. The weekend after I turned ten... Rufus was hit by a county truck. The driver never stopped. I crawled into the ditch where Rufus had landed and wrapped my arms around his bloody head and begged him not to die. He'd never been good at listening. For a long time I sat there holding his head, waiting to see the shadow crawl out of him and fly away. It never happened. I didn't know why not. "'My friends and I made our baseball field "'from a narrow, empty lot next to the Baptist Church. "'The preacher was a tall, big-boned man "'everybody called Brother Paul. "'And sometimes on Sunday afternoons after church, "'he'd come out to the edge of our lot and watch our games, "'with his tie loose around his neck "'and his suit coat slung over his arm. "'Seeing him out there one Sunday after Rufus died "'got me thinking about the shadows. "'When our game was over, "'I walked up to him and said I needed to ask a question.' His eyebrows went up. My people were Presbyterian, when they bothered to be, but he let me come sit in the church to talk. It was a cool, dark place, and rainbows strapped the floor from the little colored glass windows. Brother Paul listened while I told him about what I'd seen from Granny and Uncle John Ray. I was sure he'd bring up hell. Daddy always said Baptists were awful keen on hell, but he'd just made his low rumbling noise in his throat like he was thinking about it and working up his mouth. Daddy always said Baptists like to talk, too. After some quiet, he said,
3: Well, Jenny Mae, I can't rightly claim to have answers to all God's mysteries, but it just may be you saw their souls going up to heaven. The good book says we flee like shadows. They were in a hurry to get
5: home. What about Rufus? Brother Paul went quiet, then rumbled again. His shoulders worked under his shirt. Finally, he chewed his lip and said,
3: Well, there's no need for dogs to have souls, Jenny May. They can't sin. They don't have to be saved.
5: That wasn't an answer. I got up and walked home. But I thought about souls a lot after that. Especially the ones I didn't see. Like Daddy. The year I turned 14, the cotton failed. He plowed it under and went to work at the cannery out from the other side of town, catching a ride back and forth every day with a member of the Baptist church who worked the same shift. When a massive heart attack dropped Daddy in his tracks mid-shift one day, I was in third period English. I didn't get to see his soul shadow leave, didn't get to see if it rushed up or sank down. I didn't know if they ever went down toward hell. For Mama's sake, I tried not to think about that. Mama sold the plot we'd grown cotton on and went to work at the cannery. I started working after school and on weekends for Seth Carver, who grew wheat instead of cotton. He gave me odd jobs while I waited to get old enough to drive a grain truck, and I tried not to get caught staring at his daughter. She almost made me forget about seeing shadows, too. I was sixteen when the accident happened. Seth and two of his farmhands were in a silo, walking down the wheat when they broke through the crusted top layer and sank into the settled grain underneath. Six hours later, when the rest of us got them out, they were blue-faced and limp, with wheat kernels packed in their mouths. For weeks afterward, I could barely sleep. I kept imagining sinking into loose wheat like quicksand. I wondered if they'd screamed or if they'd prayed. I wondered if their shadows had been able to get free and if they'd risen through the ceiling of the silo or if the soul dust had been lost, scattered in the wheat. The first two times I asked Seth Carver's daughter Audrey out on a date, she said no. The third time I asked, she said, Well, if it'll keep you from looking so pitiful, I'll go. Six months after our first date, when I asked her to marry me, she said yes. She didn't say whether I looked pitiful or not. I was 19 when we got married. Audrey was 20. A year later, with a little help, our Sally was born. And as I sat next to Audrey's hospital bed and held my daughter in my arms, searching her little scrunched face and finding my wife's stick-straight eyebrows, I found myself thinking that this was it. No more deaths. No more shadows. Audrey's mother had held on to her land. I had a good job driving a grain truck. I had a wife, a daughter, a future... I should have known it wouldn't last. When Sally started to cough, we thought it was just a cold. She was eight months old. The weather had been damp. When she started whooping, we knew we were wrong. Audrey took her into town to the doctor. Sally got her nose swabbed and her finger pricked. She had a fever. She got medicine. But she didn't get better. I'll never forget that Tuesday night. Audrey was cleaning up from supper and I was in our bedroom. "'standing over Sally's crib, watching her fitful sleep. "'Lord knew none of us had gotten much of that lately. "'I tickled her chin. "'She hiccuped awake and started to cough and cough, "'and suddenly I was remembering Granny and her death rattle, "'Uncle John Ray's too-hot skin, "'their souls coming out of their bodies and shadows "'and disappearing in front of my eyes. "'Sally gasped in air "'with that horrible, high sound like Uncle John Ray had made. Her little lips were gray, drool slipping from her mouth. I tried to sit her up and thump her chest. Then I saw her shadow. It wasn't tattered like Granny's, or sleek dust like John Ray's. The darkness seeping out of Sally's mouth was almost solid, black as soot. It didn't stream off. It struggled, sliding back when she gasped again. It didn't want to leave. I couldn't let it leave. I laid her down and grabbed a pillow off the bed and put it over Sally's mouth. I pressed down. I had to keep her soul in. Audrey walked into the room. Sally? Jenny, Oh my god! Audrey shrieked and threw herself on me. I'm trying to help! I shouted, but she wouldn't let me shake her off. She clawed my face and snatched the pillow away. And I watched Sally's soul shadow thrash out of her mouth and break away. Up, up. Faster than any I'd seen. And it was gone. I was trying to help. I was holding it in. She could have lived if you let me hold it in. Audrey slapped me and ran from the room. When the sheriff arrived, I told him about my baby's soul. He just looked at me with pity in his eyes and reached out to handcuff me. I was trying to help. I was trying to help. I got sent to a psychiatric hospital. Audrey got a divorce. It's not too bad here. They listen to me when I talk about the shadows. About how I was trying to save my baby girl. I do what I'm told. I don't bother anybody. I take the pills. I get to use a spoon that's metal and not plastic. Anything can hold an edge. I made up my mind when Mama visited and told me Audrey had remarried. I don't know what I'll do yet. Maybe my throat. Probably my throat. I think that would take a long time. Maybe I'll get to see it. I want to see it. The shadow coming out of me. See how thick my soul dust is. See where it goes and if Brother Paul was right. I want to see my baby girl again. I want to see if everybody really hurried to get home.
2: Radiance by Scarlet R. Algae The thump had come from the basement, and so does the heat. You're sweltering by the time you reach the bottom of the steps, but the vents are all cold except for the one in the far corner, the one by the body. It's the third one this month. You look up first, to the beam overhead, and snapped cord then down to bent ligatured neck and shock splayed limbs a tiny gash along the jawline draws your attention making your face sting with recognition you kneel and grasp the chin, sweat slick too warm slipping in your fingers and making your skin crawl and turn the head looking into your own Glazed eyes. The corner vent has begun to glow dull red, and the hair, your hair, is starting to singe. Maybe you should let it. Three times this month, and you keep finding yourself like this. Maybe you should let it burn. Maybe that will give you answers. You unbutton your damp collar and run a hand over your razor nipped face. Breathe in the acrid stench of crisping hair and watch your corpse's fingers twitch and curl.
1: From an early age, we are taught to fear the unknown, to be afraid of what we do not understand. Well, you're about to discover that what you do know can not only hurt you, but can scare you to death! (laughs) Thirteen authors from around the world have been assembled to explore the very notion that learning about the unknown can have terrifying results. The Wicked Library presents 13 Wicked Tales, our first anthology featuring Stephanie M. Wytovich, Jessica McHugh, KB Goddard, Lydia Peaver, and so many others. With an introduction from Daniel Foytek, and new artwork from Jeanette Andromeda, not to mention an intro from yours truly. (laughs) Step inside, kiddies. It's story time at the Wicked Library. Available in paperback and Kindle on (laughs) Amazon.com. Learn what you fear and fear what you learn.